with insights and analysis of today's rapidly shifting world. Welcome to the Jewish Patriot Show with Talk Radio's premier Jewish activist, Cindy Gross, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. And now, your Jewish Patriot, Cindy Gross. God bless America. God bless you, our listeners. And thank you for joining the Jewish Patriot, Talk Radio's only Jewish woman activist, with your host, Cindy Gross, on this Independence Weekend special. Stay tuned, and coming up, Paul Manafort. Kind of makes you think of Blake, doesn't it? Makes you think of a lot of things. We're going to be in this yet, Mom. threw that song out of Yip Yip Yap Hank 22 years ago. Sounds better now.
Nike is constantly political. Why? Cover. Congressional reports suspect Nike used forced labor in China. Religious minorities were ripped from their families, sterilized, sold to factories. Nike made shoes in those same areas. Congress tried to ban Nike's labor practices. Nike fought back with highly paid lobbyists. Rather than hiring Americans, Nike chose China. John Donahoe. Nike. Stop exploiting foreign labor. Serve your customers, not woke politicians. Had enough yet? Do facts no longer matter? Are lies to be encouraged instead of punished? This is not our inheritance. If truth no longer matters, we will not remain free for long. This is our generation's challenge, to defend our founders' hope that we the people could self-govern if we defend our right to get the facts. And right now, we're building the only defense a free people have, the facts on every politician every position they held, every statement they've made, every vote they've made, and any cash they've taken. It's the real history on those now pandering for your vote. There are hundreds of young people building our defense right now, and they need your help. We all have our passions, but as our ancestors knew, when events become so foul they threaten us all, we must stand and defend each other. Please, have our backs. Join us at votesmart.org. Joining us now is somebody who we call a modern day hero because he is a victim of our corrupt judicial system that he and I know has been going on for years. But now many people are acting shocked like it's something brand new. And he has a brand new book out called Political Prisoner, Persecuted, prosecuted, but not silenced. And believe me, he's not going to be silenced about the 2022 elections, 2024. And Paul Manfred, thank you so much for joining the Jewish Patriot. Well, thank you, Cindy. It's great to be with you today. Well, we've watched the news and we saw what happened to you. And we watch in disbelief because we see every single day headlines from the opposition and how much they are able to get away with, whether it's Hunter Biden or Hillary Clinton. And now you have the ultimate theater of the January 6th hearings and look what they did to you. And tell us a little bit about what the book is about. Of course, it's pre-order on Amazon. Tell us what is in the book and what details we haven't seen or what are the facts that we don't know. Well, uh, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and to your audience. Uh, The book really chronicles everything that happened in 2016 through, uh, really through today. Um, I talk about uh, uh, joining the Trump campaign, uh, what that was like. A lot of stories about the campaign are in the book that you haven't read about or heard about already. Uh, But then I also talk about how the targeting uh, because he was uh, such a, uh, a champion of the of Middle America, uh, how he was targeted by the establishment and the impact of that. Uh, I, we talk about the weaponization of the justice system and the, and the politicizing of our law enforcement system, and how the d- double standards of justice uh, you know that still exist today. And, and the Biden Biden administration is simply picked up where the Obama administration left off. And uh, you see the t- the targeting of conservative groups, of conservative people, anybody associated with Trump. And, and I talk about all that in the book. Uh, and then, yes, I do talk about c- current events and politics, uh, trying to draw some lessons from what uh, what I went through and, and why it's so important for conservatives and, and Americans to rally now to st- put a stake really uh, into the heart of some of these Democrats who are not really uh, interested in democracy, but are totally committed uh, to taking over government and, and changing our constitutional rights. And it's really sad because so many people talk about it, but they don't know the facts. And they just repeat what they hear or think. And not every outlet, whether or not it's left or right, is, is telling the truth. Well, that, that's the problem. I mean, first of all, when they did indict me, uh, the first thing they did uh, after imposing a $10 million bond on me, uh, ten, more than John Gotti had uh, and, uh, and uh, Bernie Madoff had, but immediately upon imposing that bail on me, they they put a gag order on me. 
So from the moment I was indicted, I couldn't speak in my defense. Uh, but the but the anonymous leaks and the use of the of the uh, woke media to spread lies about me were were daily. Uh, and so then we, they, we Weissman and the Democrats and the left they understood you first prosecute in the court of public opinion and uh, you destroy the reputation uh, and then you expect certainly in the District of Columbia which is a Democratic you know stronghold to be able to find a jury of 12 people who will convict based on the the way that the man where I was slandered in the public opinion uh, for for two and a half years before I came to trial. So uh, that's, and I talk about that in great detail in the book, um, but that is their tactic. And, and I find it ironic that, uh, that uh, the, same, the, the hypocrisy of January 6th is the same people who, uh, who refused to accept Donald Trump's victory in 2016 and did everything they could to impeach him, including making the process of impeachment into just an everyday tool of, of a Democratic majority in the House. Uh, now we're talking about uh, you know the threats to democracy that January 6th posed, which is nothing compared to what they did uh, uh, to us for four years, and 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 the fact that they still don't recognize the legitimacy of Trump's presidency. They never will, and they're doing everything to make sure that he will never run again. And you got into a little bit of that in the book, and tell us what your thoughts are on 2024. Well, I think the more they try and keep him from running, the more he will not let that happen. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm not, I don't know if he's going to run or not. I think certainly, you know, he feels like his agenda is incomplete, that uh, he was starting something of draining the swamp that he needs to finish. I think he can see that you look at his record, which is now established, uh, versus Biden's record, and, and the comparison speaks volumes as to why he should run uh, and how he should run. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so, you know, the, the January 6th, uh, canard, which is not what it is, that's what it is to try and deflect from their lack of an, of accomplishments as their majority of government, uh, I don't think will work. And I think if anything will only convince him, uh, that he needs to run more than he uh, probably already feels. I think the whole thing in Georgia also is going to convince him even though he's had a setback there, I think that people are talking about the voters that are actually going to go out, the grassroots movement that he really built are the ones that are going to go out and vote. They're the ones that are going to the primary votes and they're the ones that are going to come out in November of 2022 to make sure the House and Senate are flipped and in 2024. Well, yeah, I talk about this in the book. One of the untold stories about his concerns with ballot security on, on 2020 is all of the state legislatures that dealt with the abuses in the 2020 elections and, and, and passed new legislation governing elections, including in Georgia, where the, the concerns that Trump raised about ballot harvesting and, and lack of identification uh, to cast a vote, among other things, those issues have been now not only flagged by Trump, but fixed by the legislatures at the uh, at the instigation of the of the Trump uh, uh, Trump first his, his his own personal instigation and the Republicans reacting uh, to the issues that he called attention to. So he's already won on on his his challenge uh, of the abuses of the 2020 election in certainly a number of states, all of which were the contested states in 2020: Georgia, Nevada. Uh, you know, is to be in primary examples. So I'm in New York and I can tell you that going through pre-primary here, if we were having the gubernatorial primary and what's going on and speaking with insiders, the impact of his policies and the constant push for Letitia James to just go after him and his family. I've been on the phones last night late, first thing this morning, and everybody is seeing, at least through statewide elections, there's going to be a red wave here that they've never seen before. Certain congressional areas, there's going to be a total takeover that it's not going to be the blue state it was in 2021. A lot of Biden policy, but a lot of people who he brought out to vote for the first time 
coming out to get rid of Tish James and this radical left policy. Are you seeing this around the country as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, people, the, the national media is focusing on the congressional races, but you really look beyond the congressional races at state, at the state elections. I think we're going to switch a number of state legislatures. I think where we have, yeah, where any, any state legislature that we, we, within, is within a couple of votes of us having a majority, I think we will take over, uh, in 2022. Uh, we're going to win some governors. I mean, uh, in, in blue states. Uh, you know, and, uh, and so I'm, yeah, I'm expecting really wholesale change, uh, in the 22 elections. Uh, and that, that, that will help us, you know, on a number of fronts in 24. But most importantly, it will have created a, a sense among the American people that they can make a difference and getting out there to deal with their school board elections or their DA elections or whatever can have a major impact on their lives. And, and so I'm excited about it. I'm going to add into that. There's going to be a lot of flipping and changing of county leaderships, right. state leaderships. I know New York will probably have it. And as people are looking, and you could understand this, they must go out and vote for their local judges. The courts are just as corrupt on the local level as it is federal. Where do they learn it from? And people are getting tired of watching their own tax dollars going in their local neighborhoods with backdoor deals. Yeah, I totally agree. You're 100% correct. And that's part of the sweep that I think you're going to see in, in November. So it's, it's not just at the, at the national level. It's going to be down deep and it will be impactful for a long time. I'm going to throw out some names to you and I want your thoughts on them because I'm sure you know most of them. Maybe you don't. And some thoughts because the way the press wants to play it, everybody's against Trump and vice versa. So I'm going to start with Roger Stone. Roger's been a part, was a partner of mine for 20 years. Know him very well. He, uh, he was the first person who saw in 1981 the, the, the potential of Donald Trump as a national candidate. And uh, uh, he was abused by the political system, as I was. I told Roger the only difference between his no-knock 6 a.m. raid on his house and the one on mine was that I was in a condominium, so they couldn't have, CNN couldn't be walking down the street by coincidence at that, at that hour. But uh, he was abused, should never have been indicted, never mind convicted. Uh, and they did it to destroy him because he was close to Donald Trump. Pina Navarro. Again, another example. I mean, to arrest him, put him in chains and shackles and handcuffs uh, to have a public display, there was no reason for that. Uh, It's purely because Navarro is close to the president and they're trying to, again, make a spectacle of it all. Mike Pence. Mike Pence. I mean, Mike Pence uh, is a friend of mine. So I'll say that. And, uh, uh, I think he was a very good vice president uh, for the president. I know the issue at the end was not a positive way to end their relationship. It's caused some serious damage. Uh, but during the four years of the presidency, Michael Pence was a great warrior for the president's agenda. I agree. Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is one of the future leaders of our country. Uh, I think he, uh, Donald Trump had a key role in the creation of, of DeSantis's career. Uh, and, uh, and I think DeSantis has been smart enough to understand that Trump policies resonate across the country, not just in Florida. The squad. Uh, they're the best thing for us. <laughs> they, they established the agenda of the woke left and, uh, and they are unrelenting in their commitment for that. And, uh, and I think that helps us to highlight the differences and that, and the importance that who is president makes, um, I think that they are energized about these elections too, because they know they're going to lose. And they believe that a smaller plurality in the Democratic caucus of the House is going to give them posted control over the Democratic caucus of the House. And I think that's their goal this this, this election. Mayor Pete. (laughs) They keep telling, saying he's going to be the next greatest thing in the party. Uh, we could be so lucky that he would be the one designated. Uh, he's he's totally unprepared to be Secretary of Transportation, never mind President of the United States. And I think everybody's finding that out this summer. Yes, uh, they will definitely be making assessments on summer on him. 
Uh, any thoughts on the Hunter Biden? Well, I mean, you know, one of the things they indicted me for and convicted me was uh, fair violations. Like for the first time in, since the act was created in the 1930s, they went after somebody criminally. I had actually already resolved any fair issues with the Department of Justice before there was any special counsel. Uh, and I get to go over this in the book. But Weissman ignored that, you know, polit- they politicized it, and, did, and came after me, didn't have to come after the people who were the consultants I'm working for me who should have been registered and worked, uh, didn't go after Hunter Biden for the same reasons. You know, I never met with anybody in Washington on, on lobbying under the, fair, uh, under the FAIR Act. Hunter Biden's, in a, it's, it's right in his laptops. It's in the agendas of the, of the meeting schedules at the Department of State. You know, he met with people in, in pursuing Burisma, uh, and they have it all. Yet, you know, Garland, you know, thank God that, uh, you know, for Mitch McConnell on this one issue, because Garland would have been a terrible Supreme Court justice because he's proven that he doesn't believe in the law. He's a total political hack. Well, if parents are political uh, domestic terrorists, then that says it all. Correct. Correct. That's it. Voters are terrorists because they want to speak up. Yep. Tell us something. Tell us two things about you that we don't know. We've always seen you in a professional capacity. And what do you do for fun? I play with my grandkids. Uh, you know, and enjoy them greatly. And uh, uh, I like to golf and play tennis. And uh, and I'm, I'm active with my friends. I mean, one of the things that was illuminating for me was uh, going through the process was the importance of friendship and uh, and how. It could energize you. Uh, I, I, I saw that and felt it, you know, probably almost as impactful as the power of prayer. Uh, when I was in prison, in solitary confinement, when they were trying to break me, uh, I could feel people praying for me. And, uh, and I've told people, you know, when they come up to me since I've been out, uh, that they prayed for me. And I would let them know that their prayers were heard. It gave me strength. Uh, and, uh, and so you know, my faith, which is not really appreciated because I don't, publicize it it got stronger during what i went through and i'm a better person for it and you talk about friendship you went all through this because of your friendship with the president are you in contact with the former president i don't talk about the conversations i have with him but uh yeah i i he he's been very supportive and uh, yes i've had contacts with him no, we don't need to know the details, but we would, you know, I assume that he would appreciate everything you've he, done. He for appreciates him. what I went through uh, and believes that uh, that I was, you know, strong beyond his what he could ever expect someone to be, given the way they came after me and my family. Well, the book is pre-order on Amazon. It's coming out in August from Skyhorse and. I have to tell you, they are the best publishers to bring out books that nobody else wants to discuss and stories that no one else wants to tell. And before we go, where can our audience find you, reach you? I'm sure you're going to be doing a lot of press with the book. I am. I'm, I'm, I've got, I'm going to be using my Twitter account again. I haven't used it for a while, but I'm going to enjoy doing that, especially as Elon Musk makes it into a platform again for, for, the, for freedom of speech. Uh, and I'll be, I'll be, making appearances around the country and book tours around the country. And I look forward to maybe seeing you up in New York uh, at one of those tours. Well, that would be wonderful. Paul Manafort, the book is Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, But Not Silenced. And you are always welcome here to speak up anytime. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. American Airlines rated the worst, losing the most bags, shrinking legroom during COVID. American requires passengers to show ID to fly, but attacks Texas's popular voter ID law. Why is CEO Doug Parker trying to appease the radical left to distract from billions in taxpayer bailouts, from his $10 million payday, from Americans' record layoffs? Doug Parker, American Airlines, serve your customers, not woke politicians. You've served our country and made us proud. Many of you have come home, continue to lead, and look out for one another. So it's important we all learn the five signs of emotional suffering. If you or someone you know is experiencing one or more of these signs, reach out, connect, offer to help. Hey, what's the matter? In or out of uniform, 
we can help our families and nation stay strong. Visit changedirection.org. Welcome back. We are honored to have Congressman Tim Burchett with us. He has two committees he is on that he is going to share with us updates because it happened to be two areas that every single person, whether or not you're a Democrat, independent, or Republican, are concerned about, and that's foreign affairs and transportation. In addition, we're going to learn things about the congressman that very few people know but should know, especially in this day and age where family values and uh, faith are so important to so many of us. So I want to thank you for joining the Jewish Patriot. Thank you, ma'am, for having me. It's really my honor. Well, you're from uh, Knoxville and the second district and everybody's talking about Tennessee, whether or not it's your outspoken senator or uh, it's such a great destination spot from everything from reality shows to movies. What's going on in Tennessee that everybody wants to be there? Well, first of all, when I was mayor of Knox County, all the, you know, we'd bring folks in from out of town and all the big shots that want to take them to some fancy restaurant. And I'd, I'd take them to one of my places, you know, ball market or rights cafeteria where they, because the people are the best asset. People show up for work. They shake your hand. They look you in the eye and they do what they say they're going to do. Tennessee has zero debt. If you can imagine that the state of Tennessee has zero debt. They have a triple A bond rating. Um, employment, you know, their jobs, the trades, everything you want is here in Tennessee and the weather, of course. And, uh, and Tennessee's a right to work state. So businesses are just coming in here like crazy. And we've, um, you know, Smith and Wesson just located in, in, in over here in Blunt County, which is in the second congressional district. And we have the mountains, we have the lakes, we have the streams. God's really blessed us, ma'am. We've got it all. And, and people, and unfortunately, too many folks are finding out about it. I just hope when they come, when they move here from New York, they leave their New York values there. And come here for the Tennessee. I was values just going to say that that's what's happening in great red states that people who are blue are coming in and they're trying to uh, feed you their failures from wherever they're from, whether or not it's New York or California or Massachusetts. And as I said, you are on two of the most important talked about committees right now, because yes, I'll ma'am. be honest, I've been talking for months and people thought I was crazy. But I feel like we are pre-World War Three here, not just Ukraine. And so many people ask me questions about what's going on all over the world. Tell us what is the number one or top three topics going on in foreign affairs right now. Of course, Ukraine is. We've had a uh, uh, we're spending an incredible amount of money, uh, 40 billion dollars, plus the president gave them 13 billion and then another billion dollars. I believe it is. And you got to realize Russia's entire their entire military budget is, is 62 billion dollars. So you, I'm, I'm really worried about the money we're spending over there. And then. I think it's time for Europe to step up to the plate. Putin's a thug. Everybody knows that. But he is, um, we are now putting so much money over there. I worry about it being stolen. And, you know, we're being, uh, and of course, the price of fuel is 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 definitely at the heart of what's going on. It should be going on in foreign affairs. You have a, our president is going over and, and begging OPEC when we should be getting our oil here. And now he's doing business with our enemies, people that um, you're Jewish. I'm a Christian. I try to be a Christian, I guess I should say. And and I mean, he's doing business with people that that literally sworn basically to kill people like you and me. And and we continue to do business with these folks and we can do it all right here. And his philosophy, you know, during his his debate with Bernie back when he was running for for president, um, he, he told Bernie that, we're, you know, he's going to drive the price of oil to seven, eight dollars or gasoline to seven, eight dollars a gallon and drive and drive everybody out of the business um, that's in it and, and drive people towards electric cars. And dadgummit, that's what he's doing. We the, the electric grid and the electric grid won't hold it, Cindy. It won't hold it. You know, well, if we get up Trump to- said it. He has it on tape in the debates and everybody, you know, 
thought that tweets were more you know, more important than their pocketbooks. Yeah, well, which brings I, us. I, I, I blame the Christian community for what happened to my, and, and I am one. I mean, but I did vote twenty when twenty million evangelical Christians stay home on election day because of some mean tweets. You know, we got some real problems. I mean, I, I mean you're Jewish. So if I could quote a little Jewish history, as I was taught in Sunday school, um, you know, King David. He was no saint. I mean, you know, he slept with his his neighbor, his neighbor's wife. And then he had his and then he had the guy killed uh, the officer. He brought him in and then he pulled everybody back and then they had him killed. You know, but I'll tell you what he was. He was a great leader. He was a great and he 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 delivered the goods and Trump delivered. You know, Trump, uh, I asked a New York buddy of mine when I heard some foul language, I was like, dude, what's up with Trump? And he said, and this guy was from New York. and. He dropped about five f bombs on me as he was explaining it to me, and then I got it. I said he's a New Yorker, you know, <laughs> just, and so and and I dig that. So um, uh, you know, I um, I don't we don't talk like that down here. But my point is that he he delivered, and we should have and, and we should have recognized that, and just and it, it is a mean mean world, and unfortunately, sometimes we think we need to be handled with kid gloves, and that's just not the way it is. So very few people know, since you did bring up your Judeo-Christian values and your uh, knowledge of some Jewish history, about some of the work you did when you were mayor in Knoxville and your ties to uh, Jews and your your admiration for Bibi Netanyahu and your support for the state of Israel. So why don't you share that with us? Well, I had the honor of being on the uh, state's Holocaust Commission. Um, uh, my buddy, Steve Cohen, who's across the aisle, very liberal. I'm very conservative, but we hung out so much. Actually, in Tennessee, we got together when I was in the state house and raised our speed limit to 70. And a couple of weeks ago, I fixed his Cadillac up in Washington. We, we're both in Congress now. But he appointed me or put me on the Holocaust Commission. And I was sitting in there at a meeting. We had our big annual um I, the day of remembrance. I can't remember how you say it in Hebrew, but it's, it sounds really Yom cool. Yam HaShoah. Yes, ma'am. It sounds a lot cooler when you say it, ma'am. But, <laughs> but my uh, New York accent. Yes. yes, ma'am. That's the way it's supposed to sound out with that old redneck Southern accent I've got. But, but, and, um, I was sitting in there and I went over and there's this little bitty Jewish man and I, he didn't speak his, his, uh, he didn't speak redneck and I, and I was having a hard time understanding him. And I said, I said, hey, brother, I said, who liberated you? And he grabbed me by the hand and he took me over. And there was this great big old tall country boy who was about my daddy's age. My daddy was still living at the time. And he said, he liberated me. And I thought to myself, wow, that's that's really cool. We need to we need to get this. We need to do something more so the kids can see it. And it's not just something on the dadgum history channel in black and white. The Holocaust, the war, the sacrifice, everything. So, I, you know, um, God speaks to me, just not in an audible voice or anything, but he does speak to me. And I thought, you know, Dad Gummit, we ought to do something in Knoxville. And I thought, well, I grew up in West Hills, and West Hills was one of the first technically open neighborhoods that everybody lived. I mean, I grew up in, in you know, the in my neighborhood, um, uh, Bernie Bernstein, prominent attorney, lived around the corner. He and Daddy were buddies. It, it just wasn't what it what is portrayed in the in the you know in the South as everybody this racial divide or religious divide. I mean, we you know, and my buddy, uh, my brother's buddy Todd Wolf, I always liked it when he went camping with us because Mama would buy the all beef hot dogs, and we that was just a treat. You know, we were public educators, and and I never understood it. Mama didn't make a big deal out of it. She didn't serve bacon or anything. And, um, and, and, and I, I didn't get it, but Todd Wolf was, was obviously Jewish. And, and so my mama was, was very conscientious of that fact. And, um, and, and so, you know, it, nothing, it, it just wasn't like it's portrayed. So I thought, you know, we ought to have a Holocaust Memorial in West Hills park. And I thought, well, that's, that's, that's a crazy idea. But then I went and told the mayor, I'd like to do it. I said, I'll raise the money. And um, actually, a group of Christians gave me my first checks. And then a, a, a group of Jewish folks came in. Uh, my buddy, Ron Eisenberg, he kind of hovered around me the whole time. He was like my, one of my daddy's buddies. And when I had some death threats, I remember him showing up when I was mowing my yard and, and kind of 
I popped the, he had his Cadillac there and he popped the, the trunk on it. And, and there was, um, several firearms in there. He was just afraid somebody might try to take me out. But anyway, we built this beautiful, beautiful memorial and, um, uh, and Bernie Bernstein, a uh, prominent attorney who's, who's still alive today, um, gave me the words to put on it. And it just, and it, and it talked about the, um, the millions of Jews that died. And then, um, uh, and, and the, um, military men and uh, that, that liberated them. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful, and it's this big stone. And, um, and we had the, uh, the cedars surrounding it. And we, we, I made this amphitheater and a, a really kind Jewish lady who was, uh, um, an artist. She, she sort of gave me an idea. And so I just got out there and did it and we did it. And, um, no tax dollars. And you still go by there today and people will have stones on it. But, but the interesting thing about it was my mama and daddy, we were both living then. They're both in heaven now, but they were, um, gosh, they were in their late seventies, maybe 80 at that time. And I remember I was laying sod and, um, and daddy was put helping put up the rock wall. And my mama was helping me with the sod. And this woman came up and I suspect she was, she had a, a Russian type of accent. And she said, what are y'all doing here? And I said, um, and, 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 uh, um, my mama said, well, it's a, it's a memorial. And she said, who's it to? And, and this woman was great big. She was almost six feet tall. And there's my, my sweet little mama was five foot nothing. And, and she was on the ground helping me with the sod over in the corner there. And I, and I was listening to this conversation and she said, mama said, well, it's for the, uh, the 6 million Jews that, that died in the Holocaust. And, and the woman said, we've got enough memorials in this town. And, and my mama stood up. I'll never forget this and looked her right in the eye. And, and, and of course it was, she was up, the lady was up here and mama was out here and mama said, not in this park. We don't. And that lady just turned around and walked off. And I thought, you know, I got the coolest mama in the world. And, um, and she just, That's she, and she flew an airplane during the second world war. She was kind of a badass, if I can say that word on your, your show. Yes, and, you uh, and, can. and tell our audience about your father's involvement in world war two. Yes, ma'am. Well, daddy was, uh, unlike myself, my dad had a very high IQ. He became a dean at the University of Tennessee, dean of student conduct. He worked there over 40 years, but he, um, he enlisted. Uh, he wanted to go after the Japanese after they bombed Pearl Harbor and he'd read about the rape of man king. Nobody knew anything. Daddy said if he'd known what the Germans were doing to the, the Jewish folks, he said he, he probably would have joined the army, but he joined the Marines to go after the Japanese and daddy had a very high IQ. So they sent him to Georgia tech to become an officer And my, with my daddy's love of country and hatred of the enemy. He said, he was afraid he was going to miss the war. So daddy just didn't take his midterm exams and failed himself out so he could go fight. And, um, and then he was in the Pacific. And if you know anything about the Pacific, he was in a, on first on the invasion of an Island called Peleliu, which was supposed to be a three or four day mop up. And it was the bl- bloodiest, actually one of the bloodiest battles of the entire war. And then he was on Okinawa on the invasion there on East, Easter Sunday. And um, he fought all the way there. And then he went to China after the war and fought the communists to so they were bringing the Japanese back. He thought that's a hell of a note. You know, I fought all the way across the Pacific and now the Japanese, and now I got to go make sure they get back to Japan. So, cause the communists anyway, um, and I like to say daddy did that. And then for the, in the last 40 years of his life, he fought the communist at the university of Tennessee. And that's, um, they were incredible people. Um, daddy was, um, there was a, there was a black lady on the school board with daddy. Her name was Sarah Moore green. And she was a hundred years old when she came to my daddy's funeral and daddy named a school after her. And if you can imagine that in 1972 in Knoxville, Tennessee, naming a school after a black woman who was still living. And, um, and we had the death threats and all that. And we're, we're conservative. We're Republicans. And, um, but Sarah was daddy's friend and, and my friend. And, um, you know, he was just a stand up guy. He was a badass. He had a temper. And to the day he died, I'd have to, if I ever woke him up, even when he was in the nursing home after he'd had his stroke, if I ever woke him up, I'd have to grab him by his big toe because, you know, he might wake up and think he's on one of those crazy islands in the Pacific. And, um, wow. you know, and, and he, he, they were they were real Christian folks, ma'am. They weren't the bumper sticker kind. They they took care of people 
and they love people. And, and, and you still go by daddy's grave and Jewish folks put rocks on daddy, mama and daddy's grave at veteran cemetery. Wow. That's think, amazing. You see, these are the things we cool. don't get to see when you do the mainstream media. I yeah, thank you well, for sharing it with us. Sorry, but you did bring up <laughs> not long enough and you're going to come back and talk more with us. But I do want to talk about something that is in the news. And you talk about stand up men, one who is not so uh, such a stand up man and is more concerned about his paternity leave is Mayor Pete. And you are on the Transportation Committee. Yeah. And I will tell you, summer travel, I think this is just an excuse. Forget about leisure and people don't have money, but people who need to travel for business, this is another excuse for the government to control people so they don't go back to work. Because someone like you, someone like me, someone like, you know, so many of your voters do need to travel across the country. They can't do everything through Zoom all the time. And it's going to stop people from work. Tell us what's going on. Well, I, I think it's a combination of things. I myself last Thursday was in the D.C. airport for ten over 10 hours. I was on a flight. It, it uh, They started to take off and then they, they came back and said, we've got an issue, which I'm I'm always OK with, because like I tell people, it's not like a they're not like a Holly to a Holly four barrel carburetor on an El Camino or a Camaro. You can't just pull off the side of the road and fix it. You know, you better get that dadgum thing fixed on the ground and right. get the people in there. Well, they said, first they said there was a uh, air traffic control that said we need to change our route or something, which it didn't sound right to me, but I'm not a pilot. I don't know. So uh, I'm, I go to the restroom and then lo and behold, there's a couple of mechanics up there yelling at each other uh, in the uh, by the bulkhead. Don't do that. Don't do that. And they're saying something that I can't understand. I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. He just said air traffic control. And then. um so we deplane, and then a couple hours later, they put us back on. They start off down the thing. They deplane again, and then the uh, the pilots they told us had used up their time, whatever that is. And so we were waiting again for a crew. And and, and anyway, ten thirty rolls around. This was like at noon, and then ten thirty at night rolls around after a series of these kind of events, changing gates. They lost our everybody on the flight. They lost their their tickets, so they had to re-register, whatever. And it was just a nightmare. And and I was talking to some folks, and they were telling me they think they think that it was really just the pilot union doing this because there was there was um, I talked to I believe there was five different congressmen and two different senators, and they all had a very similar situation. So I, I uh, you know. Do we need government involvement at some level? Possibly, but the government's going to get in there and, um, and Mayor Pete will get in there and create more bureaucracy and that will create a nightmare for us. I agree with you. I think, I think we need to just, I think the airline need to get their act together and we need to quit. We need to quit throwing money at them too. That's another thing I I don't, I don't like about all these so-called bailouts and it really just goes to the top dogs like the banking. Uh, bailout did so i'm i'm really concerned and then well, anytime mayor pete says he's going to get involved it scares the daylights out of me man because i was a mayor of a of a of a county about the size of his and um you know we balanced the budget we paid cash for schools we uh, did not raise taxes so in fact if you consider inflation we lowered taxes and um and paid down debt and gave raises and things like that i look at it, what he did as mayor Raised taxes, crime went through the roof. Uh, their debt increased. Uh, the approval rating was not very high. And and this is who is our secretary of transportation. You know, this is the guy who, uh, you know, a half a block from the gate has him stop his motorcade, which he's supposed to be. You know, Mister, um, not going to burn any fuels. He's got this motorcade of suburbans. He gets he, they stop and he pulls his bicycle out of the trunk so he can drive his bicycle in for the press you know, a uh, half a block. I just, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of his at all. I suspect he's all they've got. And if that's all that, who they got, they better, um, they, they better get ready for, for a long four years. Well, they, they're talking about him as the most likely replacement in 2024, which brings me to my last question before we uh, share all the information, how our listeners can reach out. Of course, you're up for reelection. 
Yes, ma'am, I am. And, and we I- want to talk. So we want to talk about elections 2022. What's going on and what do you see happening? I could tell you from New York and having early voting going on for our gubernatorial primaries in both parties, no one is interested. Now, that, that's a shame because uh, my buddy Lee Zeldin's running up there. And I, I mean, I, he's he's always been a good friend of mine um, since I've been in Congress. He was kind of he um, I don't know if mentors <clears throat> the right word, but he's always been a good dude and um, he's a veteran. I know and there's several other people running up there. But uh, anyway, but in um, in in uh, the congressional races, it, it, it should be a uh, uh, there's really a groundswell of support. You know, we have all these professionals they they are always advising you whispering in your ear telling you you know this is what and i say heck no what we ought to do is just hold a press conference in front of the gas pumps because i don't know about working new yorkers but dadgum working tennesseans are hurting right now i mean they are hurting and that is a and that you can draw a direct correlation between this president turning off our 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 oil supplies and they'll say, oh, we're permitting wells. But you know what, ma'am? They're not permitting the, the pipelines to carry it. So, you know, we need a we need a pipeline and they're giving us a straw to sip out of. And it and it is a world market. And I understand that. But we are now. And of course, we're still you know, you can still find um, fuel that we bought from from Russia. So we're actually you know, we, we finance this crazy war in Ukraine. I mean, it, it's just ridiculous. And the national media is just. They have, look, I have a theory. Feel free to accept it as your own. Um, but I, I feel like the national media is so much in the tank for this guy that they, that they hated Trump so much that they're going to do whatever they can to ensure this guy is a success. And, and it's just lying right now because there, this, this is completely, if we turned on the spigots, it, it would, it would solve everything. We would, the economy would be back on track or inflation That's would right. go down. And, and, and the, the the impact it has on our supermarkets. I mean, oh. you say have just have the press conference right in front of a drugstore where you, you know in in blue states where there's security guards and that you cannot even pick up a pack of gum without having to have a lock and key opened by your manager because there's so much crime. So it the it goes on and on and on. And I could have you talk with us. I know that you're in a rush. I really appreciate. The fact that you took the time before you have to, I was told you going on, a, um, you're flying. And I really appreciate this interview with you. We'd love to have you back. You are exactly the kind of elected official that we are looking for. Your stories here. Usually people get on interviews and they want to talk about, like you said, what their press people are telling them. And we learned so much about you. And that's so wonderful. And we want to support you. So tell us where we can reach out to you. Uh, well, Tim Merchant for Congress. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, uh, if my daughter could tell you what my website is, but get on that. You can find me on that. And, uh, and of course you can follow me on Twitter at Tim Burchett. And I would just, anything you can do for me would be very much appreciative. I'd be appreciative of it. I've, I, I actually, I've never actually been to New York. I, I went to Connecticut. Some, some very kind Jewish folks helped me out up, up up in Connecticut. So, and that's kind of neat to me too, to go up there because we're going to make sure that you get up here and that you meet the right people who will support you and work with you. So thank you so much for joining us on the Jewish Patriot. Thank you, ma'am. Hello and welcome. This is Dan Perkins. I'm the executive producer and co-founder of blacks and whites. And uh, we're, we're bringing Cindy's and her syndicated show to our network. She's on Sundays at 5 p.m. and on Tuesday evenings at 9.30. Uh, we decided we'd try to attract two different audiences with her. Um, she has quite a reputation, and we're looking forward to the content that she's going to be able to give to you, our listeners, and her listeners uh, on her Jewish Patriot uh, show. So welcome aboard. Thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to sharing headlines and trends from the Jewish world to the non-Jewish audience and vice versa as Talk Radio's premier Jewish women activist. And where can our listeners find it in case they miss it so they could stream it anytime? They can go to blacksandwhites.us 
and under the show menu, there's a drop down menu, and there'll be your name, and it'll take you to a landing page on our website where they can hear your show and also read other things about what's going on in Cindy's life. Thank you so much for joining us, Dan. You're welcome. Thank you. We'll look forward to having you on the network. Great. We believe in patriotism. We believe in our nation's youth. We believe veterans earn their benefits through their service to our nation. We believe in a strong national security. We believe in our country. For 100 years, veterans have been impacting our nation through the American Legion, and we believe it makes a difference. If you believe, learn more at legion.org slash we believe. Before we go, I'm going to close with a very special Pearls of Wisdom, because many of you know my name is Diesel Pearl, which means pearls. On this glorious holiday weekend, we also celebrate Christmas in July via the Hallmark channels. And here are my thoughts about Christmas in July in 2022. Every July, we get weeks of Christmas movies that are fan favorites and ratings winners from multiple Hallmark channels. I'm Jewish, and overall, I watch them like millions of viewers internationally. I only object to them when they distort the stories of Hanukkah and try to make Jews think they have to become followers of Christian holidays and celebrate Christmas. Otherwise, they are great entertainment. They are the perfect escape for two hours. Each year, at least one new movie honors our veterans, which is really something that always makes me cry and make me proud to be an American. And I can't wait to look at the schedule to watch some of my favorites, like Operation Christmas and Christmas Homecoming over and over again. And over the last few years, Hallmark has taken us overseas for Christmas, to Rome and Vienna, and even back in time. I love to see my favorite stars like Danica McKellar, Lacey Chabert, and Jack Wagner find second careers in movies that make us remember them from their original shows from years ago. They only get better with age, like fine wine. My personal favorites are really the true fairy tales, and I know they are favorites of yours as well. Because once upon a time, a girl from nothing meets Prince Charming and ends up happily ever after. New Cinderella stories. I probably watched Crown for Christmas, A Royal Christmas, and A A Princess for Christmas at least a dozen times. And I promise you I'm going to watch them a dozen more in the next few years. But Christmas in July this year is just a little bit different. And it's not because it's such a wonderful thought, but it's a reality. This year, Christmas in July has new meaning thanks to the Biden administration. Because there are going to be shortages of Christmas goose and chicken, wheat, olive oil, popcorn, to trim those trees, and baby food. Not to mention those trees. And the food you will purchase will cost a lot more. And you will only have that food after waiting on multiple store lines because there will be so many shortages. That food will probably cost you at least 25% more than you're paying now and at least 50% more than when Donald Trump was president. Traveling to see family and friends will be virtually impossible. Based on the current airline situation, steps, shortages, flight cancellations, and the cost at the gas pump. Thank you, Mayor Pete. 
it's a good thing we watch some of the military movies with laughter because we might be in World War Three, and military families will be crying tears of fear or worse, the loss of a loved one. And it will be a very different ending than the actors we see in the movies. Thanks to Secretary of Defense Austin and the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Millie. Because you were too busy crying about Donald Trump rather than doing your job to protect American lives. You should be crying about your failure in Afghanistan, your failure in Ukraine and Russia, and the thought of war everywhere around the world. Why do you want to help Iran destroy Israel is beyond comprehension to me. The Biden administration is so concerned about climate change, but I'm really concerned about our wildlife and trees, you know, those deer outside, the reindeer, and those Christmas trees. I know even Jews make Hanukkah trees. I don't do that. As he adopted Meow Me of four delicious cats, two were about to die before I brought them in my home, and the wonderful infrastructure projects that are destroying suburban life and making everything look like skyscrapers that can't deal with irrigation and infrastructure. Our cities, our suburbs, and our nature is a mess. This is happening especially in blue states. I see it every day in New York, and it's one of the reasons so many people are exiting blue states, because the red states have ideas to preserve nature and to protect their animals. It's no cackling matter, Kamala Harris, or Secretary of Energy, Jennifer Graham. You know, the Jewish songwriter, Jerry Herman, wrote the lyrics to a song for the musical Maine that I think is really appropriate now because Auntie Maine wanted to bring happiness to her nephew and the people that worked in her home after losing her fortune in the 1929 depression. We need a little Christmas right this very minute. Candles in the window, carols at the spinet. Yes, we need a little Christmas. Right this very minute, we need a little Christmas now. I know, I don't sound as good as Johnny Mathis. Even Lucille Ball sang it better. Well, thank you, Hallmark, because while nobody really wants to say it, many people are thinking it. We are heading towards a depression, much worse than a recession. It's hard to imagine anything good today. Riots, crime, no baby formula, and tampons. And reality house vibratings are down. Thank you, Ohama, for letting us escape the reality of drunken women wearing clothes we can't afford and bringing us love, family, faith, and Christmas. Long before the cold, drabby, days of December. Happy holidays, everybody. Enjoy your barbecues. And remember, thank God we live in a country where we have freedom. I'm Cindy Gross. I'll see you next time. Thanks for watching the Jewish Patriot Show with Talk Radio's premier Jewish activist, Cindy Gross. Be sure to download Cindy's next program, as well as previous ones, available internationally on iHeartRadio, Spotify, and in Israel on Jewish Podcasts. See you next time on the Jewish Patriot Show.